Yes, thank you for being here. The, um, the Torah portion this week is called Toldot. It begins on uh, in Genesis chapter 25. Uh, right, it's the middle of the chapter, isn't it? Yeah, verse 19. Anyway, let's say the um, blessing for studying Torah together. And then I'll tell you where I want to, where the excursion I want to go on today. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher shitshanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, source of life our God. Your presence fills the universe. And you have given us the mitzvah of engaging in words of Torah. Okay, so the story we're up to now in Toldot, remember last week Isaac and Rebecca got married. Abraham died. Isaac and Ishmael buried him. And we're on to the next generation of this generational saga. And so in this one, Isaac and Rebecca have the twins, Jacob and Esau. And um, it's another great story. It seems that, you know, Jacob is, uh, Jacob's pretty wily. He's quite the trickster. And it seems that uh, our ancestors didn't have a problem with a, a trickster as their, uh, as, as our ancestor, even though it bugs some of us who want someone who's more upstanding and heroic. Uh, but what I wanna do today is I wanna explore Esau's story, um, because uh, for several reasons, you'll see that when we read um, Esau, we may have we have may have preconceptions about who Esau is, right? As the the the, the twin, and Jewish tradition, if you happen to be familiar with it, um, Esau becomes. Um, uh, representative of oppressive powers in later rabbinic commentary. So Esau, forget about it. Esau is bad in rabbinic midrash and commentary. And he gets a bad rap. And what I want to do today is I want to look at the story first and get a feeling for who Esau is in the story. And then I want to explore with you how Esau got such a bad reputation in rabbinic tradition. Um, and I found the whole thing quite interesting. I know we've covered it in different ways before, but I just want to hone right in on Esau today as our focus for our Torah study today. So I'm going to share the screen and share with you the passages that include Esau. Hold on a sec. <clears throat> I trust you can see that, yes? Okay, good. So this is the story of Isaac, son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. And Toldot, which this translation says story, 
or the Toldot, uh, the um, generations, often as it's called. Isaac was 40 years old when he took to wife Rebecca, daughter of Betuel, the Aramean of Padanaram, sister of Laban, the Aramean. And Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And Yudhevavi responded to his plea, and his wife Rebecca conceived. But the children struggled in her womb. And she said, Imken, if so, why do I exist? I don't know if she said it in quite that kind of language. This is she's having a terrible pregnancy, and she says, Imken, Lama Zeanochi, you know, take me out and shoot me, sort of. And, uh, and so she went to inquire of God. And God said to Rebecca, two nations are in your womb. Two separate people shall issue from your body. One people shall be mightier than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her time came to give birth, when her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first one emerged red, like a hairy mantle all over. So they named him Asav, Esau. Then his brother emerged holding onto the heel of Esau. So they named him Jacob. Jacob means heel. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. Okay, I'm gonna pause there for a moment. So we can read this tale as we should on many levels. One level that I want us to read it on is simply itself as a story. Let's hear the story and, and not, not and on that layer. But on another level, this is an origin story because Esau and Jacob, here, I'm gonna share the screen again. Because Esau and Jacob, here, here are their names, ah, are brothers. They also represent kinship ties with a neighboring people. We are the children of Jacob, Israel, as his name is later going to be called. And our neighbors across the Jordan Valley, in the hills over the Dead Sea, and in that whole region there, are the descendants of Esau. And that area is called Seir, all through the Torah, Seir. And the nation is called Edom. Okay, now I'm telling you that because this is an origin story about us, the children of Israel, and Edom, our, kin, our kinship neighboring people across the way. How do we know that? Well, why is Esau red and hairy all over? I mean, we've studied this on a mythic level, and there's actually a mythic motif that turns up in different traditions, in the ancient Sumerian tradition, in the storytelling tradition from uh, fairy tales in Europe, where uh, there are twins or siblings, one of whom is wild and hairy, and the other whom is smooth skinned and mild, right? 
And that's certainly the paradigm that Esau and uh, Jacob fit. However, in addition to that paradigm, Yetzeh Harishon, the first one emerged, Admoni, read all over. But Admoni contains the word Edom. So it's a folk etymology of the origin of the nation of Edom, which was considered to be our, uh, the, our kin across the way. And then, hairy all over, Se'ar, is Se'ir, the mountain area where they, which was the center of their community across the way. So this, the descriptives of Esau are also uh, how, um, a, a, um, an origin story of how they got, how Edom and the area called Seir got its name from its original um, founder, Esau. I hope that makes sense. Whereas Jacob doesn't have, we're not Jake, we're the children of Jacob, but we, we're going to become Israel. So in a number of chapters from now, when Jacob wrestles with the angel, he also gets his new name, wrestling with God, which is the folk etymology for our name Israel. Okay. So again, I'm, I'm jumping between levels, but I want you to hear this both as one of those stories about how things came to be, but now let's also read it on its own terms. Here we go. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the outdoors. And Jacob was a mild man who stayed in camp. Isaac favored Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah favored Jacob. Favored Ahav. Some of us know what the word Ahava means. Loved. Isaac loved Esau because Isaac loved the venison that he brought home, and Rebecca loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the open famished. <laughs> now, uh, listen to how Esau talks. His character is consistent throughout the story. Give me some of that red stuff to gulp down, for I am famished, which is why he was named Edom. This is another uh, etymology uh, for the re reason Edom is named Edom. Halitenina min ha'adom ha'adom hazeh. This red stuff you have there in the pot. It's lentil stew. Because uh, I am ayef, I'm tired. Um, so here's another folk etymology, but... The way Esau talks, as we've noticed in the past, is in really declarative, simple language, always. Please give me some of that red stuff. I'm beat, he said. And that's why they called him red. And Jacob said, uh, sure, just sell me your birthright. Esau said, I am at the point of death. So what of what use is my birthright to me? Hebrew, hine anochi holech lamut. Look, I'm dying. Lama zeli Who cares about a birthright? And Jacob said, 
swear to me, I hear brothers at work here. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob then gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And then he ate and drank and he rose and went away. And thus did he spurn, Esau spurn the birthright. Again, we look at the Hebrew. Vayochal, he ate. Vayasht, yesht, he drank. Vayakom, he got up. Vayelech, he went. Vayivez, and he spurned his birthright. It's fascinating Hebrew because it's five verbs in a row. Esau is what you see is what you get. He's a total man of uh, action, not of reflection. Jacob is the wily one, right? Esau, five verbs in a row. No descriptives, just, okay. So that's the first time we encounter Esau. And from the Hebrew, again, it just gives you a great feel for who he is. I'm going to skip chapter 26, which describes uh, the adventures of Isaac. Um, and go to chapter 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, too dim to see, he called his older son Esau and said to him, Bini, my son, Bayom Elav, and Esau said to him, Hineni, there's a significant moment coming up. Here I am. And Isaac said, I'm old now. I do not know how soon I may die. Take your gear, your quiver and bow, and go out into the open and hunt me some game. Then prepare the dish I like so much. Bring it to me to eat, and then I'll give you my innermost blessing. My nafshi, my soul's blessing before I die. And as you know, probably in this story, Rebecca is meanwhile listening as Isaac speaks to his son Esau. And when Esau had gone out into the open to hunt game to bring home, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I overheard your father speaking to your brother Esau, saying, now you know what's going to happen. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Rebecca received the prophecy that the older shall serve the younger. So she, in this story, is it has to make sure that that transpires. And when we focused on Rebecca, she, she boy, does she know how to play her husband. So um, because Rebecca in the patriarchy doesn't have the outright power to determine who gets this blessing. She has to make it happen. Um, and she has to do that by manipulating Isaac into thinking he's the one who's deciding. So that's one of another reasons it's such a rich story. But I want to remind you, now let's go back to the historical. I want to remind you what um, uh, she heard from God when she was pregnant. Two nations are in your womb. And they will split from one another. And the elder shall serve the younger. So that initial prophecy she receives, we'll, we're going to talk about historically after we go through the story. So as you know, she, Jacob dresses up as Esau. He carries in the dish. Isaac is suspicious, but he can't see well. And he feels... He, Jacob has hairy goat skins on his arm 
and he feels the arms and he smells them. And he says, feels like Esau, smells like Esau, but the voice is the voice of Jacob. And we're never 100% sure whether Isaac knows what's happening or doesn't. That's part of the beauty of the story. But he gives Jacob the blessing that he was re reserving for Esau. Uh, and uh, he even says, are you really my son Esau? And he says, oh, I am. Well, then let me eat. And now he says, come close and kiss me. And he smelled his clothes and he blessed him saying, oh, the smell of my son is like the smell of the fields that the Lord has blessed. This is not Esau. There's something about Esau that's wonderful, even though he gets a bad rap later on. He's out in the fields. He smells like the outdoors. He's, his father loves this energy. And so he gives Isaac the blessing he was reserving for Esau. May God give you of the dew of heaven and the fat of the earth, abundance of new grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow to you. Be master over your brothers. That's the key line. And let your mother's sons bow to you. And cursed be they who curse you, and blessed they who bless you, which is exactly how God blesses Abraham. And so the blessing of God to Abraham is being passed to Jacob, not to Esau. No sooner had Jacob left the presence of his father Isaac, after Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, than his brother Esau came back from his hunt. He prepared, he too prepared a dish and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Yakom Avi. No, see, I'm not going to do this fancy language. Yakom Avi, get up, dad. Vayochal mitzed beno. Eat of your son's game. Bavur tivarchani nafshecha, so I can get your innermost blessing. Blaise says, so just wondering if Jacob being the wily one has anything to do with survival of the Jews over the centuries or the founding of Israel. A useful quality to have inherited? Oh, I have so much to say about that. That's beautiful. Blaise, let's hold on to that comment for a while. It's worth reflecting on. So his father Isaac said to him, who are you? He said, Ani bin Ha. I'm your son, your eldest. Esau. Yes, it can also be flipped into anti-Semitism. Okay, I'm going to take this little excursion here. I just read a book called The Jewish Century by a professor of history, a Russian Jewish history called Yuri Sleskin that um, describes, he uses the words, the terms, Mercurian and Apollonian. And that he says every society, and he goes all over the world in this survey, it's quite fascinating, has a class of landed people who are the peasants, the farmers, the hunters. And in that class of people, there is another category 
who are the um, intermediaries, the literate, the, uh, the, the traders, the artisans, the, the folks who um, aren't landed and grounded in the land, but are rather service the landed population. And the Jews occupied that role in Europe. Uh, he names other peoples all over Africa and Asia who uh, occupied the similar role. And so in a way, yes, Jacob is the man of the tent. Jacob is the one who manipulates and is wily and makes deals and, um, uh, and, um, uh, and so uh, there's a lot to be explored there. However, in the land of folktales, this all predates all of that stuff and um, necessary for survival. It can be used for not good purposes too. However, when you study folktales, whether it's Anansi the spider or Coyote or Jacob, imagine how these are beloved figures of folktales. And they are not considered to be evil or bad. They're considered to be wily. And their wiliness is prized and makes us laugh when we hear their stories. So in addition to thousands of years of history to reflect on, I want you to keep in mind that our judgments about these people may not be how our ancestors enjoyed these stories at all. They might've enjoyed them as tales of wily tricksters and not harsh negative judgments. Okay, but back to Esau, who is definitely a man of the earth, of the soil of the game. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he said, I'm your son Esau, your firstborn. Isaac was seized with violent trembling. Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate of it and I blessed him. And now he's got the blessing. Listen to how Esau reacts. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst into wild and bitter sobbing. And he said to his father, daddy, bless me too. But he answered, oh, your brother came with guile and took away your blessing. And Esau says, well, that's why he was named Jacob because he supplanted me, Ya'akveni, these two times. First, he took away my birthright, and now he's taking away my blessing. And then he says, Halo bracha. don't you have a blessing for me, anything? Esau is so pathetic in that way and sad. So here's the blessing. Oh, I have made him master over you. I've given him all his brothers for servants and sustained him with grain and wine. What then can I still do for you, my son? And Esau said, just one blessing for me, father. Please bless me too, daddy. Avi, Avi, Abba, daddy. And he kept and he cried some more. And his father Isaac answered and said to him, well, Here's a blessing. Your abode shall enjoy the fat of the earth and the dew of heaven above. Yet by your sword you shall live 
and you shall serve your brother. But when you go restive, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Keep that in mind, because not only is this a folk tale about our, our origins, but it's also a story about the history of Edom and Israel, who are constantly in these centuries at war or sometimes at peace, constantly battling each other for dominance in the region. It's a sibling rivalry that goes way back. Now Esau harbored a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing which his father had given him. And Esau said to himself, when the morning, after dad dies and we're finished mourning, I'm going to kill him. Rebecca heard about this and again arranges to by uh, basically um, telling Isaac what to do without telling him what to do to send Jacob off until Esau has calmed down. Now, again, so. Rebecca says, I'm disgusted with my life because of these Hittite women in the neighborhood. If Jacob marries a Hittite woman like these from among the native women, what good will life be to me? And so Isaac sent Jacob off to find a woman from their family in the old country. And he sends him off with a blessing. And then when Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him off to Badan Aram to take a wife from there, charging him as he blessed him, you shall not take a wife from among the Canaanite women. And Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and gone to Badan Aram. Esau realized that the Canaanite women displeased his father, Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took to what Ish Esau had married a Canaanite woman. So he marries the daughter of Ishmael, uh, who is part of the family, right? And uh, that's how the chapter ends. So all Esau wants to do is please his parents, right? And when he feels like killing Jacob, it seems like the same as when he's exhausted and he feels he's gonna die. He, his emotions come and they go. And the next time we hear from Esau will be in a couple of weeks. And I'm going to scroll ahead to that just so you can see how he stays in character. Darn, I'm going to use up my time really fast today. I have a lot to say. Um, don't get dizzy while I do this. Here we go. Jacob is returning after 20 years. He sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, remember? Seir and Seir is hairy, the country of Edom, which means red, because he was, that's where the etymology comes from. And Jacob sends messengers and he's ready to, he's gonna try to reconcile with Esau. Thus shall you say to my Lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, and he sends a whole messenger, a whole bunch of messengers and the mess with a message. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau 
he himself is coming to meet you and there are 400 men with him. And Jacob's terrified. But we actually don't know Esau's motive. We only know what Jacob thinks is going to happen. And if you recall, he thinks Esau's still mad at him and is going to, you know, Jacob's going to do whatever he can to appease him and try to save his family. And I'm not going to go through this at length right now. He wrestles with the angel. He, and then comes the great moment. Um, looking up, Jacob saw Esau coming, accompanied by 400 men. And he went up ahead and bowed low to the ground seven times. And here's how Esau reacts. Vayarotz Esav likrato. Esau ran to greet him. Vayichabkehu, he hugged him. Vayipol al-Tarab, he fell on his neck. He kissed him. And they wept. Isn't that beautiful? And it's right in character with Esau. And then Esau looks around. He saw the women and children. And he says, who, who, who are these people? That's all he says. Who, who, are, who are these people? And Jacob answered, they're the children God has blessed me with. And they all greet him. And then he says, why did you send me all these gifts? And Jacob answers, to gain my Lord's favors. And Esau says, I have enough, my brother. Let what you have remain yours. Again, you hear the directness of Esau's communication. He, if he was mad 20 years ago, he forgot about it. <laughs> it comes and it goes. And Jacob then, please accept my gift. Please, please, please. And, uh, and let my Lord, and, and Jacob is just still just, just being so, using such fancy language. And Esau said, well, let me assign some of the men who are with me. And uh, I'll, I'll uh, oh, he says, Esau says, come home with me. And says, no, 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 I'll, uh, you go ahead. My kids are too slow. There's too many cattle. You go ahead. And he says, well, I'll, 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 I'll come with you. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. And Esau starts back on his way to Seir. And Jacob doesn't even go there. He goes to another place. So Jacob is still being Jacob. He was, it's, he's full of words. And then the one more thing to know about Esau is that when it's time, when Isaac dies, the last we hear from Esau, coming up, and then I'll, I'll, I'll read Blaze's comments and talk to you. Um, Rachel dies, Benjamin is born. Um, And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Isaac was 180 years old when he breathed his last and died. He was gathered to his kin in ripe old age, and he was buried by his sons, Esau and Jacob. So even though Esau now lives in Seir, and Jacob lives on this side of the river and uh, in the mountains of uh, Hebron, 
and in the in the hills of Judea, um, they come together and bury their father. And that's the last we hear from Esau. But then in chapter 36, an entire chapter is dedicated to the um, family tree of Esau and his descendants. The whole chapter is his wives, his children, who descends from him, uh, where they lived. Um, a whole chapter about Esau, the kings of Edom. And my goodness. And then, so 30, 43 verses dedicated to Esau's line. So on the um, face of it, on the face of it, Esau is a deeply sympathetic character who uh, just wants to please his parents, who is kind to his brother after he gets over being cheated by him over and over, and who's important enough to the Torah that an entire, he and his lineage, that an entire chapter is dedicated to his family line. Let's see. Uh, Lay said, uh, oh, look at all these um, synonyms for wily, shrewd, clever, sharp, sharp-witted, astute, canny, smart, crafty, cunning, artful, sly, scheming, calculating. Ooh, wow. Breaking the yoke from Esau's neck, says Blaze, freeing himself, forgiving Jacob. He fell upon Jacob's neck like this. Um, he is not weighed down by anger, blame, or resentment, etc. Like forgiving others is for the benefit of the one who forgives, not the perpetrator. And Rob says, but Jacob carries his guilt the whole time. Yes, he does. Whereas Esau is free and clear. Mm -hmm. uh, as Ishmael and Isaac come together to bury Sarah. That's right. It seems clear that Ishmael and Isaac were not, um, were not estranged from each other, nor were Jacob and Esau. And Rob says, in addition to Esau, who else gets a chapter dedicated to their family line? I, I need to look into this more, Rob. But what struck me about it is that Esau is a side story. Right. Usually the family genealogies are to advance the advance the Israelite um, story. And yet, so my what I assume is that these we were these was really our first cousins in the land of Edom. And so when so first of all, before I go there, I just again want to reflect for a minute on what a well drawn and sympathetic character Esau is. I really like Esau, even though I was raised to dislike him because I was on Jacob's side. Do you know what I mean? And part of what I want us to take away from today is maybe we can drop the sibling rivalry because it's a sibling rivalry that extends from its historical origins between the people of Edom and the people of Israel, uh, you know, 
who are neighbors. And at times when you study the history of the region, you find out with, with clear evidence from uh, the uh, different biblical narrative that there were times when the Israelites dominated the Edomites and there were times when the Edomites dominated the Israelites back and forth. You can see this rivalry. When you read in the book of Numbers, um, Moses has brought the children back and they now have to walk through the land of Edom to get to the promised land. Let me just find that, that's quite interesting. Hold on a sec. Um, from Kadesh, Moses sent messengers to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardships that have befallen us, that our ancestors went down to Egypt and we dwelt there for a long time and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and God freed us from Egypt. And now we are on the border of your territory. Please allow us to cross your country. We will not pass through fields or vineyards. We will not drink water from the wells. We will stay on the king's highway and we won't turn right or left until we've crossed your territory. And Edom answered him, you shall not pass through us, else we will go out against you with the sword. And Moses said, we'll keep to the beaten track. Just let us walk through. We'll pay for our water. We'll pay for our food. We just want passage on foot. Really, it's just, just let us pass through. And they replied, no, you cannot pass through our territory. And Edom went out against them in heavy force, strongly armed. And so Israel had to take a long way around Edom's territory. Okay, so this, this was quite, but it's your brother, right? So this was a time of, um, of uh, difficulty. But then later in Deuteronomy, in a section of, um, of uh, describing a section of laws, let me find that one. I found this really interesting. Sorry. Ah. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for they are your achicha, they are your brother. Um, children born to the Edomites may be admitted into your community. That's a law in Deuteronomy. Okay, so there's this, all of this sibling thing. So one thing we can then discern from the prophecies that Rebecca receives is that the elder shall serve the younger. Edom, when the children of Israel are heading towards Canaan from the promised land, Edom's already on the land. So Edom is an older senior entity to Israel. They have kings, they've been there. And uh, so we know that the elder but we also know that they are going to serve the younger, that, that the, Israel, the Israelite kingdom is going to dominate them. But then remember what Isaac says, which is that, but you shall throw off their yoke. That's because we also know from history that the Edomites, when, when Jerusalem 
was destroyed by the Babylonians and they were sent into exile in the sixth century, the Edomites sided with the Babylonians and took over the Israelite territory after the Israelites, after the Judeans had been exiled. When the Judeans returned, the Edomites were on their former territory and they did battle once again. This is an old, old rivalry. So even as we have this beautiful origin story, we also can discern that it's a story about a historic rivalry. Um, as Blaise, uh, Ruth says, you might remember at one time, Arthur Waskow was going to take the name Esau. And Blaise says, yes, even a side story is there for a reason. If nothing in Torah is without purpose. That's right, this was not included by accident. It's not like an appendix that got stuck into the middle of the, uh, of the text. Okay, so. Um, so I love Esau, right? And I love uh, in the Torah. What happens to Esau? How did Esau manage to rise to such wealth and power? Well, it's all relative. They were all herdsmen and they were successful. And so their flocks and herds multiplied and, you know, they were on trading routes. And so they traded in goods. It, it's, uh, they were just, they were successful in that region. Um, okay, so there's a, there's a place in the text that I wanna show you. I'm gonna share my screen again. And go back to when Jacob and Esau meet after 20 years. Sorry, I went too far. Um, oh goodness, come on, Jonathan, here we go. I just want to get to the verse where they meet. Um, it's right up here. Esau ran to greet him. He hugged him. He fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Okay. When you see it in the Torah, has these six marks over it. Why? Well, the scribes who are our ancient rabbis their job was to copy and recopy the text. But, and in the text we just read, Esau is a sympathetic character, right? What's to hate about this guy? But by the over the centuries, Esau, Edom, became a symbol for Rome. 
Rome. The rabbis are writing their commentaries during Roman oppression. How does Esau become a euphemism for Rome? I want to talk about that for a few minutes. But the way that the rabbis, they, they would not change the text. The Torah was the Torah. So if they were scribing a new scroll, they would not change it. They might add things to it, but they wouldn't change it. So they have this word, he kissed him. And then when you look in the Midrash, if you change this kuf to a kaf, tiny little change, it means, and he bit him. So the rabbis say that Esau's motives were not pure, that Esau, in fact, didn't kiss his brother first. He tried to bite his brother. And in the magical language of the Midrash, and it says Jacob's neck turned to marble and he couldn't be pierced. But it's like, what is going on? I've wondered this for years. So what's going on is fascinating. And it has to do with Christianity and it has to do with the Roman Empire. King Herod, the famous King Herod, we are now in the first century BC. Judea is a, a um, tribute, tribute, pays tribute to Rome. Who is King Herod? King Herod is from the, the Edomites. King Herod, but he is also a convert to Judaism. What is going on here? In the second century BCE, the Maccabees threw off the rule of, of the Greeks, right? We know this story, it's the Hanukkah story. When the Maccabees came to power, they went on a series of wars of expansion and they conquered Edom. And then after a couple generations of Maccabee leaders, they forcibly converted the Edomites to Judaism in order to bring them into their kingdom. Herod was an Edomite who had been converted to Judaism. Herod was also a sympathizer with Rome who toadied his way up to power until he was the king of Judea. Herod was also uh, like out of central casting for the insane tyrant. He, anybody who threatened his throne, he'd murder them even if it was his son. He was a horrific, he also wanted to make Jerusalem into a showpiece of the Roman Empire. He was an incredible builder. It's like, I mean, think Stalin, you know, it's like uh, that kind of unbelievable character uh, who rises to power and then is, is just a completely immoral and horrible human being, even as they build great, great edifices. The rabbis despised Herod. 
he represented everything that they wanted to resist about Rome. And Herod was an Edomite. Now, so they couldn't talk about, you couldn't trash Rome or the king if you were the oppressed group. You had to use a euphemism. So Esau and Edom became the euphemism in rabbinic literature for Roman might. And I never really understood that. I always wondered why Esau got such a bad rap. And that's why I decided to research that today. Then there's this fascinating additional layer. Remember how it says the older shall serve the younger when Esau and Jacob were born? Well, guess what? The early Christians identified themselves as Jacob and the Jewish people who wouldn't accept Christ as Esau. And so in Christian early literature, the Jews are Esau and the Christians who have the younger ones are Jacob. The Jewish writers knew this story. And so they told the other story. So we have this tit for tat thing going on that, as you know, by the fourth century, the Roman Empire under, under Constantine converts to Christianity. And so now, now Rome and Christianity have become one both imperial power and religious, the religious um, uh, um, uh, triumphalism of the Christians over the Jews. And so, just as the Christians say explicitly, here, I, I found a great quote. Um, let me read it to you. Right, this is in the third century. Uh, a, a, Christian, um, a Christian church father saying, from Rebecca's womb, two peoples and two clans were about to come forth. And they are, of course, the Jews, that is Israel, and the Gentiles, that is us. For indeed, God designed two clans to come forth from the womb. But the first, the elder people, namely the Jewish, inevitably will serve the younger. The younger people, namely the Christian, will rise above the elder. So even though the Jews, obviously, Jacob is our story, for the Christians, they take that story and they say, no, 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 you Jews, you're Esau. We're the ones who get uh, to wear the mantle of uh, being the descendants of, of Jacob. And so in rabbinic commentary, again, they have to use euphemisms um, and they fight back. And so in this coded language of Midrash, uh, oh, let's see, um, Deborah Berger, sounds like everyone thinks they're the victim. Ain't it the truth, Deborah? So I'm, I'm closing in on sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm getting closer to the end here. <laughs> uh, 
in the Middle Ages, by the Middle Ages, here's what uh, a famous Jewish commentator, Abraham Ibn Ezra in the Iberian Peninsula said. Um, it says, there are many references in the Torah later to Esau and to Edom. And in some, they just, because, uh, and so I won't go into that, but I'll say, Edom, this is a reference to Rome and Constantinople. And they are called Edomites because they joined with the teachings of Edom, which is their euphemism for Christianity in the Middle Ages. And this teaching is called Edomite because the Edomites were the first to believe in the teachings of Ha'ish Hayadua, the guy we all know we're talking about, Jesus, Jesus. He can't write Jesus. If he writes Jesus and writes Christianity in his commentaries, his books are going to be burned and Jews are going to get killed. Right? This is this is this is the Middle Ages now. And so it's just fascinating to me that the, that this sibling story, this rivalry, managed to expand from the tribe of Edom, the people of Edom and the people of Israel telling their origin stories. And when we read the origin story, remember Esau's not really an enemy. They bury their father together. They go their separate ways, but they've reconciled uh, from their early, it's like in the Torah, it's kind of a happy ending. It is, a, it's a, it is, but that rivalry then expands into the rivalry between Christian Rome and the Jews, each claiming once again to be the true recipients of the prophecy that the elder shall serve the younger. So there was, here I want to, um, I think I have this to share with you. Ah, yes, this is from Rabbi Sylvia Rothschild. She had a beautiful ending to her commentary. Um, she talks about those six marks over that word, and he kissed him to then be interpreted as, and then he bit him. And Rabbi Rothschild says, maybe it's our job at this point to take those little marks off the scroll so that uh, we, can, we can just drop this subject once and for all. Uh, here, I'll read her last words here. Um, if Esau really kissed Jacob on his vulnerable, smooth neck, the part of him so unlike Esau, uh, Jacob had queried whether his father would know him by it, his smooth skin. And if they had then parted on relatively reasonable terms and been able to come together to bury their father, then maybe we too can create a living peace, one that does not have to be passionate or entangled together, but respectful and honorable. And then maybe we can take those scribal marks off the scroll and believe that reconciliation really is possible. 
Yes, her name is Sylvia Rothschild. Um, so I know I covered a lot of ground today, but um, I hope we got we 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 at least got a taste for each level, that beautiful level of the um, storytelling. Um, oh, you know her brother. Uh, that's great, Roni. I don't know her personally. I just found her writing online. And Rabbi Ellen says, oh, Reb speaking of reconciliation, Reverend Bruce Chilton, um, who runs the, the, the Institute of Advanced Theology at Bard. Here it is. Thanks. Thanks, Ellen. Herod the Great. Herod the Great and the politics that divide us. Ha that's amazing. <laughs> given that that's what I'm talking about here. That is so cool. How Rome made Herod into the king of the Jews, how the Jews despised Herod. Um, oh, that's gonna be a really interesting lecture. Great, thank you so much. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna say it one more time. Since we have this biblical story of reconciliation that then spiraled into literally thousands of years of dissing and conflict, uh, maybe we can cycle back around again and start over and read the story on its own terms that after 20 years and wanting to kill each other, and, and Esau wanting to kill Jacob and Jacob being terrified that Esau's gonna kill him, that instead they hugged and they wept. And maybe it's time to go back to the original message of the story and they bury their father together. So that's what I wanted to share with you today. The original text, all that history, it's, I just found it fascinating. So thank you. Awesome.